Welcome to the Pool Scene Podcast. Yes, another movie podcast, but the only one that is hosted by myself, Kevin Bradway, and my co-host, Jim Sabella. Yo, what's up, guys? How are you, Jim? I'm good, man. It's hot. The temperature's fluctuating crazily here in Northeast Ohio. I hope it stays like this rather than uh, some of the other stuff we've recently got. Screw that. Give me the cold weather, man. I sleep a lot better. So, this sucks. So, Jim, what did we just do? Well, as we are coming into the summer months here in Northeast Ohio, we figured episode one would be best fitting to do the 1998 July 4th blockbuster of the summer and of the year, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Armageddon. Directed by the great Michael Bay. I'm sure we'll get some flack for saying the great Michael Bay. So let me uh, let me jump into our first segment. We're going to talk about the setting of this movie. So um, nothing to go into great detail about. Uh, it takes place at the time, present day, late 90s, summer. New York City is seen in this movie, uh, but mostly it's at NASA in Houston. At the Johnson it, Space Center. Yes, and in space. So that sets us up. The plot, we're going to go a little bit off the rails here. NASA recruits... A bunch of oil drilling rednecks. You mean roughnecks, not rednecks. <laughs> They're kind of rednecks, too. So Close the, enough. They recruit a bunch of oil drilling roughnecks that you prefer to rednecks, rather than astronauts, to stop the end of the Earth via asteroid in less than 18 days. Yeah, because why not? Why not have guys that have never been through space, the training of space, let's teach them to be astronauts, Instead of having just astronauts who are known geologists to drill on an asteroid, but let's get these group of guys into space and then drill to save the entire world. Uh, I agree. We have another segment later in the podcast where we'll kind of discuss this at length, but I just have such a huge problem with rather than train oil drillers to be astronauts, we're training astronauts to be oil drillers. That's that's I think would be the preference, but that's your th only problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's my own that's my only problem. Jesus. This movie is perfect otherwise. This movie uh, is a great movie. I mean, let's be honest, we're kind of going to shit on this movie quite a bit, but we're doing it all in good fun. This movie came out basically when I was 17, Kevin was basically coming about on 16, I believe. This is 98. Yeah, I would have been uh no, I would have been uh what? I was born in 83, so, okay, so yeah, 14, 15. Yeah, 14, 15. I would have been so going was, into high school. So this was basically a seminal movie in the late 90s because those were the days of the summer movie blockbusters that were getting big at the time. I'm, I'm not looking it up right at this moment, but there was a few years where, if you remember, it was, it was super important as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, what is the summer blockbuster? And we had like Independence Day. 96. And 96, and, and this. I mean, big. there would always be a big-budget action movie in the summer. And to me, in 98, it, it was it, no question. It was... Armageddon, although this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about the duality of Armageddon because in 98, a big trend was there would be Armageddon. There was also Deep Impact. There was Volcano and Dante's Peak. There was Twister and Night of the Twisters. You cannot count Night of the Twisters. It was a straight to like TBS release. It still would not have been made if it wasn't for Twister. I don't know about that. I think there's probably others, but for sure, this was this was the trend at that time. If there was one, there was another, and I'm sure we're missing some. Now, but. I will say, too, between Armageddon and Deep Impact, at least with Deep Impact, spoiler alert, at least a part of the damn thing hit the planet. I wanted to see that destruction, you know? Yeah, yeah. This movie, spoiler alert, which... That's right. If you have not seen this, this movie came out 22 years ago almost. So if you haven't seen it, which I don't know how the hell you've never seen Armageddon, because there was a time on cable, this is on every other day. But if you haven't seen this, we are going to spoil the living hell out of this movie. Plot holes completely. There's huge plot holes. Logic plot holes. Everything about this movie, we're going to tear apart. Watch the movie before you listen to us, if you've and, never seen it. And that's a good preface. For this podcast, we are going to assume that you've either seen the movie, basically F you, because we're going to talk about plot points. We're going to talk about the movie in depth. 
So we prefer that you watch the movie before you listen, unless you're very familiar with it. And again, like like Jim said, we're we're gonna shit on these movies, but that doesn't mean we we dislike them. We shit on them because we love them. Yeah, we're gonna shit on them in a good way. Yeah, we're gonna be be critical. And so. so I mean, we could not think of a better movie to kick off the this podcast, the Pool Scene Podcast, which is our homage to Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, than to use this movie as our number one movie. And ironically enough, it was the number one highest grossing movie of 1998 and if you're a male please see that movie specifically the pool scene it's, you will discover yourself yeah, like i did greatest nude scene of all time yes uh so let us uh let us transition then our, our next segment we we're going to talk about the characters in this movie the essential characters the ones who matter we're going to do this on every episode first i'll start with Harry Stamper, as played by Bruce Willis. He's known to be the best deep-sea oil driller in the world. He's like a master geologist is drilled into every element that Earth has to offer, apparently. And, and as, he'll, yeah, as he'll tell you later, he's never not reached a depth that he planned to reach. Guaranteed. If he said he's going to hit a number, he's going to hit a number. So then we have Don Truman, or I'm sorry, Dan Truman, uh, as played by Billy Bob Thornton. And he's the head of NASA, director of NASA. Something. I would say he's the best of the secondary characters. He's fantastic. Far. He really perfect for the role. Gives a shit and kills it in this role. Uh, next, we'll talk about Grace Stamper, who's played by Liv Tyler. She's obviously the daughter of Harry Stamper, which we kind of figured out in this movie. We think she's playing eighteen, even though in real life at this time she's twenty-one. So basically, it's inferred in this movie that she's fresh out of high school. So she's 18 with a shitload of responsibility already on her yeah, plate. Yeah, yeah. And she's, I mean, her deal, and, and they talk about it later a little bit, is that she's basically raised on oil rigs. Uh, mom left. She is just with dad. She refers to him by by Harry. It's never dad, because he, ref he prefers to be called dad. Yes, he prefers to be and called. And she says, and I quote, I'm sorry, Harry. Yes, so so Grace is his daughter. She's 18. I mean, you got to think of the type of people that are probably on oil rigs, not to d discriminate. They're uh, hardcore guys, man. They're on yeah. the rigs for months at a time. They have very limited facilities, but they make bank, man. Yes. They make bank. Which, uh, nice transition. AJ Frost, he's played by Ben Affleck. He's kind of the young gun of Harry's crew, and he's the love interest, which you'll see, of Harry's daughter. And will I'm, I'm sure Jim will probably talk about it a little bit at length, but he's kind of a younger version of Harry, which is revealed a little bit later. And there's a scene where I think it's the first time that Harry realizes that, that AJ and Grace are an item. Oh, yeah, that's a great scene. I don't think that there's... Uh, there's any indication prior that they're lovers, but um, we'll talk about that again later. So then uh, the cast is rounded out a little bit by Harry's crew, which they kind of provide all the comedic foil in this movie, the one-liners, and uh, a lot of great stuff. And really, they're fantastic. So uh, we've got Steve Buscemi, Michael Clark Duncan, Owen Wilson. There's a couple others that I can think of off the top of my head who's the other other cast members in this group. Wait, but. I got you. We say Owen Wilson already? Yeah. Owen Wilson is Oscar. We have Will Patton as Chick. We also have Ken Campbell playing Max, the fat guy, the yeah. fat. And he's good. The he's Cubs in, win. He's that guy. He's excellent. I mean, we can't forget about Noonan who is basically yes. the write-off of this whole movie. He has like three lines. I think during your evaluations, he is also seen in the strip club, and then he's dead. That's and it. He's seen as a dead body. They so. basically reference his name once. I had to research what the hell his name was. I thought it was Groover. I was a wrong. line earlier in the movie, which is a little off-putting, because, again, you've got Steve Buscemi, Michael Clark Duncan, Owen Wilson. Uh, there's uh, Jason Isaacs is in this movie. Bruce Willis. Everybody's just loaded kind of around a table, and they give this Noonan guy a line. For instance, this is how insignificant Noonan is. He does not even have an active link on Wikipedia. It's just his name is in black. Yeah, That's it. So. Clark Broly. Jim, let me let me ask you uh, about casting before we uh, we transition into break here. If you could recast any character oh, in this movie or anything, I mean, would you? Who would it be? I don't think there's any... If you think about 1998 at the time, of course you're going to have Ben Affleck in this because him and Matt Damon are just... They just rolled off an Oscar. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Damon was thought of somewhere in this movie because they were thinking, man, we could hit pay dirt with Damon and Affleck in it. So that would make sense. Now, I, I will say something rare for me. 
which is I wouldn't change anything. There's no need to. It's perfect I casting. Mean, everybody plays their role so wonderfully, big or small, and and does what they need to do. That there there's not a person in this movie where I'm like, eh, they kind of dropped the ball a bit. If you look at the who's who of 1998 in like Oscar nominations and all that, basically everybody that's big at time. Michael Clark Duncan just came off an Oscar nomination from A Green Mile. Buscemi was in Fargo. Of course, you got Bruce Willis. Ben Affleck just came off an Oscar from Good Will Hunting. So it's a who's who at the time. Who uh, who would you say steals when when they're on camera? Other than Billy Bob, which we talked about a little bit. Billy Bob, fantastic. Okay, since suit. we already mentioned Billy Bob Thornton as Dan Truman, I have two. The guy who plays Colonel Willie Sharp, who is William Fickner, who is... A great character actor. He's been yes. in a lot of movies. And Peter Stormare, of all people, Peter Stormare as Len Andropov, Colonel Russian Space Station. I love Peter Stormare because his filmography is wonderful. Big Lebowski is probably his most memorable. He uh, basically played a smarter version of his character in Big Lebowski in this. Pretty much. Pretty he, much the same thing. He's got the rug that ties the space station together. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Fickner is is wonderful. It, you if if you don't know him by name, Google him and you'll be like, oh, you'll see the face. Yeah, I've seen him in everything. He has that Robert Davy. He's he goes through a, a pretty good character arc. Yeah, and he's uh, he steals a lot of scenes in this movie. He's pretty good. So, all right, that that sets the table for this movie. So why don't we go ahead and take our pool check pool break? Pool check. So this is the the if you're ever at a public pool where they kind of have to fish kids out of the water or not uh, in a death way no no <laughs> just they it's time to get everybody out get them have their, their hydration blow the whistle I think the really the conspiracy theory is that's how they sell uh, refreshments and things at the at the snack bar while the old people get to stay in the pool and kind of just float around pretty so, much. So each week, for the most part, our pool check will be the year that the movie we reviewed is, we will cover the top five music videos from that year. Now, if we repeat a year, we'll obviously do something different. But every time we review a movie that was released in a year, we'll cover the top music video. So this is 1998, which is really seriously fantastic for music videos. I it's mean, a phenomenal year. There's probably legitimately 80 videos or more that were great that were in heavy rotation mtv still vmas are a big thing mtv basically was still a thing MTV, trl mtv was still a thing so in 1998 it was a, a pretty big deal so we had a lot to pick from so jim would you like to go first do you want to do your entire top five do you want to go back and forth i think we go back and forth okay. i think we start from five down and as we work our way through this we'll reveal our number ones near the end of the pod so I'm going to start off my number five music video of 1998 here on the pool check will be one of the best karaoke songs to hit if you know every word. And I've seen them in concert twice. It's Bare Naked Ladies One Week. Yeah, definitely one of my honorable mentions. I mean, they kind of have the market cornered on awkward white guys. Chickadee China, the yeah, Chinese chicken. I, I think the video kind of is very them. color blasted. It's color blasted and it's them kind of performing for the king where they're either going to get approved or kind of beheaded or whatever. But they uh, it's a live performance. It's a, a very 98 music video, essentially. My top five. Well, what's coming in at your number five? At number five is Master P, Make Him Say Uh. Just because this, this, so 98 was like a time capsule. You didn't get anything before or after that was quite like the hype surrounding No Limit Records. Oh my God. And it was, it was such, you know, a roller coaster hill because No Limit was the biggest thing in the world. The No Limit family. And then gone in like a year. And the Make Em Say On video is essentially everybody wearing, they rented out a, a basketball gymnasium. And, I wanted and to soak the Shocker basketball yes, jersey. I'm yes, not going to lie. Yes, they all had basketball jerseys. There was a gold tank. And it's just, uh, it's like f four or five minutes of Master Completely P. Completely ostentatious. Yes, Master and, and, P you know. just shouting at you. Yep. And, and probably not one of the best videos of 98. But not a great song either. <laughs> no, not a great song. Doesn't hold up. Loved it in 98, though. But because, you know, to me, it's a time capsule in 98. So you're number four. Okay, we're, are, are we going to go all five right off the bat? Just yeah. do one pull check? Yeah. We'll okay, excellent. Number four was another song that would go back and forth on TRL in the summer of 98. Everybody kept calling to get this to number one because people were kind of getting sick of the boy band stuff. So at number four, I'm picking Corn 
got the life. Yeah. Now, because yeah. when that song, there was such an upswell to get that song to number one on TRL, people would call in left and right, left and right. It would get to like number three, number two, but it'd always be eclipsed by NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney, yeah. Christina. Finally, it happened. And I remember I bought Freak on the Leash. I never was a Corn fan. No, same here. Never. But that song and then Freak on the Leash. They started hitting TRL number one, so well, yeah, got the life it's was so amazing. Weird because in some way, I mean, they sort of were a boy band, but but it's because of TRL. So yes. so I mean, hear me out. It was like they obviously sounded nothing like the boy bands, but the TRL audience. I mean, it was like it was like a teeny bopper thing, like very teeny bopper. I mean, every it was like middle schoolers and high schools watching TRL. So the fact that they got corn to the number one video, and again, I, I bought the CD. I had a Walkman when I played soccer. Going into my freshman year, we'd take bus trips and stuff, and that that's what I was listening to a lot of the time. Did your discman have anti skip? It did. I don't think it worked very well. And, uh, you know, this is a, a good time to talk about an honorable mention. I doubt it's on your list. I hope not if it is. Uh, so there was um, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, Deja Vu, and my uh, classmate, Ben Riggs, and I, he had a Walkman that could take two sets of headphones. So we played that song on the way to a school trip in Washington, D.C., like 50 times. And it's not even a good song. And at the time, it probably wasn't even a good song. But for some reason, that's what we listened to on the trip to Washington, D.C., with a Walkman that had two headphone jacks. So we both listened to Lord Drake Peter Guns, which is also... That's a great song. I don't think so, but <laughs> sure. My number four, Beastie Boys Intergalactic. Oh, God. It was the resurgence of the Beastie Boys. It was so cool. It was like a like a lo-fi, sci-fi type video with like a mecha. You know, they had a big uh, robot attacking the city, and they were wearing like the... Very know. Devo. Yeah, very Devo the type. Funny of thing was, it's not like they went anywhere. It was only four years since Ill Communication yeah, left, but this yeah. is what they came back with. It was great. great. It was way to come back. such an earworm song that got play on pop radio, got play everywhere. And great video, great song. And then I, I think, you know, Sabotage came, and, and yeah, the Beastie Boys were, were back in full force. My number three. This is where it's going to get rough for me, because we're talking music videos, not songs. Actual music right, videos. Right, right. That's what you need to designate. Yes. Because... There's, I could hit you with a song, but the music video would be absolute crap to it. My number three favorite of 1998 will have to be Aaliyah's Are You That Somebody. Yeah. That is such a great jam. Aaliyah, I had a crush on Aaliyah. She's very beautiful. Died well before her time. But that Timbaland produced track, yeah, it's the got, beat to you. It's got like that baby that girl, baby uh, sound uh, effect in it. Oh my god! It's like it's like a creak, like a baby uh, cooing sound effect. Plus, it also has that beat that no matter what your age was, we said that nowadays with Uptown Funk, you'll start tapping your foot yes. to it. It's like oh yeah. my god, this it transcended. So that video is very '98 in that you know when I was reviewing these, trying to figure Tony out what Hill I wanted. Figure. What I wanted to put on this list, there was there was very ninety eight was like live performance, choreographed dancing in an abandoned warehouse type of type of location, you know, something dressed up or, or futuristic or whatever. And this was definitely uh yeah, ab absolutely. I agree with you. So my number three I feel a little bit suckered by myself to put this on there. But it's Aerosmith, don't want to miss it. Oh, you did it. Because one, it's in the movie that we're covering. You did it. But it's it was Aerosmith's first number one song written by Diane Warren, which is crazy because Aerosmith's this drug band from the 70s yeah. who became, I mean, they started getting these pop hits. But Look it, what, ju when Just Press Play came out. Yeah. Jaded. Yes. They kind of, you know, almost like sold out. But the, the video is really, it's nothing fantastic. It's like Aerosmith performing live at, at NASA. There's some either movie footage or footage of the characters from the movie shot to be shown in the video. And, and hopefully you don't have any of these on your list. But if you do, spoiler alert, I'm sorry. So 98 was also kind of a big soundtrack year. You had this song, which was number one. You had My Heart Will Go On, Titanic. You had uh, Iris from Goo Goo Dolls. Which is smart because most people's attention spans won't sit through a whole album. So they'll just get a soundtrack for number one. Yeah, you'll buy a whole album and it'll have 14 duds. But as long as there was that one, one banger. That one banger. And I miss soundtracks. I miss when movies would have like one song that was absolutely tied to that movie. You know, this the Space Jam, I, I Believe I Can Fly or... Or what have you, when there was, it was maybe more of an 80s thing, but in the 90s, I feel like they perfected selling the album uh, associated with the, 
the song. So, yeah, my number three, don't want to miss the thing by Aerosmith. Okay, number two, I'll keep it quick, Transcendent Return. For an artist that was a late 80s, early 90s smash, that's DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, but Will Smith came back solo with Getting Jiggy With It. Now, that song you saw grandmothers dance yeah, to. Yeah, Will Smith came in, I should say shouldn't came in, off the, the, the wave of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. People knew him from that. So all of a sudden, he gets on to Independence Day, a summer blockbuster, like we're talking about in this podcast with Armageddon. He releases a new album, Big Willie style. Next thing you know, he has the dance hit of the summer. Yeah, I, I'm not going to, just in case, I'm not going to touch it, but he had another song in 98 with a, a pretty... Just the two of us. Well, that one and Miami. That's right. He had Miami, Kim Jiggy with it, and just the big... two of us. In, in my, I would say of the three of those three videos, Miami was probably the best one to me. I like that song better because but video it's him wise, cruising around, getting jiggy with it. It's kind of like, like I said, the '98 choreographed dancing. Wait a dancing. minute, '98 too. For talking Will Smith, Men in Black. Yeah, good yeah. lord, Men in Black. He really, really killed it in '98. But that was my number two for music video. My number two is Big Pun featuring Joe. Still not a player oh. because. Big Pun's like a was like a five hundred pound man. He was a hoss man. That and was a hoss like, rapper. It's there's like him on a on a, a moped or a motorcycle, and there's like him in a hot tub, and it's it's kind of just like a, a location hopping video, rap video, and it gives me an opportunity to do what is like my stand up bit, which is in this song there is a lyric that says, "I'm sick. I ripped my dick through your hooters. You couldn't measure my dick with six rulers." Now, where I went to school, rulers were 12 inches long. It's a big dick. 12 inches. Big so dick. if you could not measure his dick with six rulers, that makes his dick over six feet long. He's a 72-inch long dong. Everybody thought he died from like weight-related problems. I'm pretty sure he got strangled by his own dick in his sleep. <laughs> How do you follow that? So number one, in sync tearing up my heart now i like i said with corn they would go back and forth this song i learned to dance too i learned to dance i want you back this was probably my favorite pop song of the year i knew you were gonna pick this because am i great video too am i incorrect in saying there's two versions of this music video there's two versions of i want you back there's only one version of this video okay. this verse this version of the video i shouldn't say this version the only version of this video they made, I think, a year and a half earlier in Europe, and okay. then they released it here. They I kept see. the same video. But I Want You Back, two different videos. They had a European one, and then two years later, the American version. Okay, so I'm glad you went with NSYNC at number one, because you're lying to yourself if you try to tell me in 1998, 99, 2000 that you didn't have a Backstreet, NSYNC, 98 NSYNC, Degrees, Britney Spears type video at number one, Christina. because whether that's what you liked or not, that is what dominated this era. Yeah. So number one for me, Backstreet, everybody, because this video was like a throwback to the old like MC Hammer videos, where yes. it was an event. It wasn't just like, okay, here's us performing. Here's the song. The video opens like they're going to this like haunted mansion type thing. It's basically a Halloween anthem. Yeah. It's good for everything. Yes. It's like a Halloween anthem. And it's just, it's a, it's a fun video. It's a fantastic video. It reminds me, like I said, of the old MC Hammer, like long form videos. And to me, it was, it was the, definitely the most iconic video of 98. I, I'm glad that we didn't repeat any. That Thank was God. pretty impressive. Honestly, I, I will talk about some honorable mentions. I don't know if you had any. Uh, Casey and Jojo all my life next too I, close. I think that was a little Casey and Jojo all my life was a little sentimental to me. Uh, so I like that one uh, too close by next was good. Maya Praz and ODB ghetto superstar from the board soundtrack again a soundtrack song. father of mine by Everclear uh, semi sonic closing time. There are so damn many man fastball There's... the way Harvey danger flagpole sitta third eye blind jumper Marcy playground sex and candy. Yeah uh, DMX rough riders anthem. I know. With Whole the celebrity skin, yeah. Uh, and then I, I had a Leo, are you that somebody which you had on your list? There were, I mean, nine, 1998, like I said, there were legitimately probably 80 videos that could have made our list. It was nuts. And, and I look forward to this portion of our podcast, not to take up too much time or take away from what the podcast is for, but it is a movies and music video podcast. And, and that's where we're, we set ourselves apart, we're a little bit different. 
Again, if we repeat a year, we'll probably just we'll you think know, of something. Else. We'll think of something and we'll throw a different segment at you. Best MTV shows of 1998. Yes. Sandblast. Yeah. Date my mom. <laughs> so. Oh my god, I forgot about date. Let's. Mom. Uh, all right. Let's get back to the podcast. All right. Let's get back to Armageddon, everybody. So the next segment we're gonna we're gonna touch on. It'll really be the 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 meat, the beef of the movie is is best scenes. Back in the pool. is best scenes. They blew the whistle. We're jumping back in and here's best scenes. So I'll go first. All right. It, 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 the defining scene in this movie, if you were to talk about this with a stranger on the street and be like, what do you remember from Armageddon? Also, we're not going to go in chronological order of the movie. We're going to no. go all over the place. No, we're just going to talk about the best scenes. Again, we assume that you saw it or if you didn't, we don't care, but we're going to tell you what the best scenes are. Not in any order. So first, I will say the iconic scene, the scene in this movie is is as the asteroid approaches Earth <laughs> and the crew, they're, they're struck by like a storm. Uh, a bunch rock of rocks storm, and stuff. Rock storm. So essentially, the the trigger that'll detonate the bomb, which will split the asteroid, is destroyed. So you find out at this point that someone has to stay behind and sacrifice themselves to detonate the bomb manually. So because somehow the timer got messed up. Yes. Oh my lord. So anyone who's not a pilot decides we have to figure out who's going to stay. So they draw straws as you do, which they also did in deep impact. Yep. Go figure. So they draw straws. And of course, AJ, the love interest of Harry's daughter is chosen to be the one who has to detonate this. He's going to suck it up and take one for the team. And, and he's the fine planet. with it. He says, okay, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm ready to do. I can't screw this up. So as they're riding the elevator down, Convenient elevator, the convenient you. elevator to because everybody else loaded up on the ship ready to leave. Yes, and as they're riding the elevator down, Harry rips off AJ's air tube and pushes him back into the elevator and is going to sacrifice himself. He tells him, "You're the son I never had." And that he's proud that he's going to marry his daughter. I guess he's just assuming here. After all the headbutting and strife between both of them, yes. So then before preparing to detonate the bomb, Harry is able to contact Grace, who's at NASA in Houston. And he says his last goodbyes and he you know, tells her he loves her and all Ironically that. enough, he's saying his goodbyes one to one, but everybody else is watching along in mission control. Yeah, it's not really an intimate moment because the not entire crowd at nasa which makes me think it. somebody could just speak up and go um harry we're running out of time can you wrap it up please yeah. uh so harry wants the freedom which is the, sh the ship that's remaining departs and is in a safe distance which I, I still don't buy but once the the ship the freedom is at a safe distance harry successfully pushes the button at the last second literally like the last second uh um, it's like 0.2 seconds left yes he detonates the nuclear weapon it splits the asteroid uh, in two zero barrier cost him his own life the halves of the asteroid split and perfectly, safely, perfect safely split. past Earth, and the surviving crew returns as heroes. And I say that based on this scene, Harry would be an absolute icon in the United States. The yes, media would. would plaster his name everywhere. He'd have statues and monuments. High schools high named schools. after him. I mean, this is like the biggest. He literally saved the Earth. Basically. He saved human civilization. Yes, yes. he saved earth so that that's my that's the iconic scene in this movie is harry sacrificing himself for his son-in-law future son-in-law so that he can return and marry his daughter now i'm going to piggyback off that with one of my favorite scenes remember these are not in any particular order these stand out to us differently the basically the final scene of the movie at the very beginning of the movie you see this battle this tug of war proverbial tug of war between harry and aj where harry comes across aj sleeping in i think in one of those i guess it's like a separate bunk room where all the roughnecks can sleep or something like that comes across that why isn't aj on the job he's running late he comes across the bra he's like harry i need to explain something with you harry puts two and two together pulls down the covers and notices his daughter grace underneath the sheet yeah now, and we talked about this a little bit earlier yes. i i think this is probably when harry learned that his daughter not only was sexually active but sleeping with one of his crew members with his basically his number one yeah and his nemesis sort of but watching this movie we watched it before we recorded this podcast and kevin and i have collectively seen this movie dozens of times the one thing that sticks out about me to this scene is it's not that 
Harry is super pissed or disappointed in Grace for sleeping with AJ or being with AJ. Harry sees a lot of himself in AJ, like at the end where he says, I've always seen you like a son. That basically answers the question to this scene. He sees all the stubbornness, all the laziness, and all the potential within AJ, but he hasn't found it yet. So he adds a lot of pressure on AJ, maybe a little too much BS, but he wants to show AJ that he is capable of so much more, and he wants AJ to be the guy. If something would ever happen to him, he could be the guy, take over the oil company, and be there for grace. I don't know if it's necessarily he did not know that they were active together. I think he had an inkling. He just didn't want to believe it. But I think he thought for the longest time, because like I said, I think that we can assume that Gracie is probably 18, 19 in this, that we can assume that's who she was going to end up with. That's what I think in the back of his mind, he thought. And that's probably reading too far into it. But honestly, that's probably why he butts heads with AJ, because he holds him to a higher standard, because he sees himself. And the fact that he's, you know, finds out he's going to be with his daughter, you know, if something happened to Harry, his daughter probably takes over this company. Yeah, he's a single dad. He's been raising and, and, her for a long time. And AJ can run things. So, I mean, it, it's probably best case scenario, but it's probably also why he butts heads with AJ. Yeah. So sp- speaking of AJ and Grace, you know, I said if, if you stop a stranger on the street and said, have you seen Armageddon, what, what scenes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now, a lot of people would probably say the Harry sacrificing himself, but the other scene that you could argue that would be, you know, first would be the animal cracker scene. There is a scene where prior... So basically, Harry tells Billy Bob Thornton's character right before they're like set to leave, like the day before they're set to leave, he says, you're going to give our guys the day off. They may never return to Earth. Yeah, because they have all the time in the world. Yes, so... You're getting the day off. We'll get into that. My guys are going to get to see their families and stuff. So AJ and Grace spend their final day on Earth together by... She's laying in, like, I assume as a park? like Something like, like that. She's laying in the grass. She has her dress unbuttoned. With her little bit of a hairy tummy. A little bit of a hairy tummy. And it's basically AJ pretending to do, like, a... An Australian like a, accent yeah, as like, the lion gets to the gazelle. Exactly. Like a nature show with animal crackers on her belly. It's romantic. And then they probably bone right there in the park. They probably made sexual. Yeah. So that scene to me, and, and the thing about that scene too, is it's it maybe the only scene in the movie where you hear the Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. In a, in a slower. Yeah. In like an orchestral version. Yes. And they're laying there. I mean, it's it's a nice scene. I like how Michael Bay did it. So that's that's the next thing I have. Okay, the next thing I have. But let's get a little more lighthearted. Now he gets the crew, his his roughneck crew, all together. But they all have demands. They have certain demands. If they want to go on this, they want their demands met. We'll also get to the fact that we don't know if they were ever paid for this. But here were the demands. The ones that stuck out. They wanted to know who killed John F. Kennedy. That was a that's no. A no. Yeah. Oscar, who was played by Owen Wilson, wow, wow, him, wanted all of his speeding tickets taken care of. That was 56 tickets in seven states, which is probably a couple thousand dollars. If you think about it, you're saving humanity a couple thousand dollars, you know, whatever, drop the pen. I would say no problem. Bear probably has my favorite. It's just the way he introduced it. You have Bruce Willis standing there talking to... Well, well, Bruce, Harry says... Bear wants to stay at the, at the uh, white, white horse, horse. and, he, and you, they pan up to and they're on like a mezzanine level and they pan up to uh, Michael Clark Duncan. He goes white house, white house. Yeah. So he wants to stay in the Lincoln bedroom of the white house for, for the, the summer. summer. So there's just going to be some random big dude walking around the white house, probably naked because you can the see Lincoln he, bedroom. he barely wears clothes throughout this whole yeah. movie, but he's going to stay at the Lincoln bedroom in the white house. Also, none of them want to pay taxes. Ever again. Ever again, which I don't understand. Again, we'll get to it later, but you would think that if they go on this multi-billion dollar mission and they return safely, there's got to be a payday at the end of them for it. So paying taxes might not matter, but most of them probably never have to work again. Okay, if we're using 1998 logic when it comes to the money, as an individual, what would you say the monetary number you would need to do this kind of venture? With 1998 money, not adjusted for inflation well they were probably making a, sh- a shit ton of money just being oil riggers just as is okay so you're thinking probably six figures a year definitely yeah over six figures so then they have to shoot them into space 
and then do it on. I I would think it would be at least a million each. Yeah, no less than a million each. No, e- easily, yeah. easily. Nowadays, it'd be like ten million a piece. Oh yeah, at least. Yeah, at least. I mean, some of them might say, "Yeah, this this great." I could say I saved the world, but I mean, you gotta think if they come back, they probably all get book deals. There's probably yes. a movie. Oh my so. god, dude. Okay, so then, Kev, what's your next one? My next is uh, one of the peripheral characters, one of Harry's crew. Uh, Chick, who's played by Will Patton, he's kind of a degenerate. They always, um, degenerate gambler. Yeah, they they kind of show, and this is also one of my favorite scenes. But they they show each character kind of gets thirty seconds. So after they go and recruit Harry and Grace, and Grace is telling NASA where they can find each of these characters. Uh, Steve Buscemi's character. Is it a bar in New Orleans? Owen Wilson's like on a ranch riding horses. So the character of Chick is in Vegas at a craps table. And you get the sense that he's kind of never there, even though he has. So you find out he has a wife or a, a girlfriend and a son, but he's never been home. You know, he always uses uh, oil rigging as an excuse. So the, the my next scene is is Chick goes to this woman's house which is April O'Neil from the Ninja Turtles. Yes, Judith Hogue. And uh, Chick goes to her house, and he tells her, I'm sorry. He doesn't go into details. He says, I'm sorry for everything, and I'm I'm going to be doing something kind of big. I'm going to do something kind of big. And it, it's a scene that kind of tugs at the heartstrings, even though he's a degenerate and he's never been there. And he sees his son, who he doesn't know, and his son doesn't know him, but he sees him. He says he's getting big, and he goes, I just want you to give this to him. You don't have to tell him who it's from, but please give this to him. It's a little space shuttle toy. It's a space shuttle toy. The nice thing about this scene is that it gets a payoff twice. So once is when they broadcast these astronauts or oil riggers turned astronauts about to fly into space, the little boy and April O'Neil see Chick on television about to leave and she tells him, that's your father. That's your dad. And then, again, spoiler alert, when they return, Chick is one of the ones that make it. When they return back to Houston at NASA, where they land, her and the son are waiting there, and the son runs and jumps in Chick's arms. It's really a nice moment. I mean, Will Patton plays it perfectly, and uh, it's it's nice as an oil rigger drives past me in the background. Now, this one... Another great one, I will admit. It could go off into a tangent, so I'm going to go with another one instead. Dan Truman, as we said, is a standout character in the movie. And we learn in a one-on-one scene at the Johnson Space Center, he is unable to go and become an astronaut because he has a disability. He has uh, braces on his knees. He has a Forrest Gump braces. Basically, so I'm, I don't know what... They never explain what his ailment is, but he says, man, what I wouldn't give to have that mission patch on and be up there with you. Which pays off at the end where Harry sacrifices himself for AJ, where he rips the mission patch off his spacesuit. In actuality, folks, in all honesty, (laughs) space patches on real-life suits are Velcroed on, so you could just take them off willy-nilly. This one, he ripped off. It was sewn it was in. So, so it put a hole in his space suit. He basically would have killed him right yeah. there and then. He's He should be dead. Yes. However, he rips his mission patch off that is a picture of one of the shuttles, one of the two, and it says, freedom, independence for all mankind. So when they come back down on the planet, not going through quarantine procedures as most space flights do when they come back down to Earth. They have to go away for a while to make sure they don't have any microbes on them. But whatever, it's a movie. As AJ... And Grace share a moment. Truman comes up to him and has that smile on his face and, you know, basically wants to welcome home and thank him. And AJ goes, Harry, Harry wanted to give you something. And it was his mission patch. So Truman could feel like he was a part of the gang. That move, that part stuck out for me because it gave Truman a huge payoff. He wasn't just some guy in mission control in Houston just trying to direct a mission. He actually had viable heart and meaning into this mission that Harry going through all this shit, knowing that he's never going to see his daughter again, not going to be there for his wedding, made sure that Truman had this form. And and that's a nice transition into my next scene. So a nice thing about Truman, you can see that he really has the best interest of the crew and earth at heart. Whereas not, not to say that nobody else does, but you meet Keith David's character and Keith David's character is like a, what an army general. Oh, he's a complete badass. Yeah. 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 He's a a no nonsense. Yeah. He's a general of some sort, but you find out Keith David's character is kind of a representative of the president. 
And when things start to go a little rocky during the mission, the president is ready to just detonate the nuke with every sacrifice the lives of everybody that's on the asteroid, set off the nuke, which I think we learn would not have been successful. Not at all. No, it would not have been successful. So anyway, um, we'll talk about the president. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the president. So Keith David's character, when you first meet him. And Truman's defending this crew. Keith David's character reads the list of charges. He's talking about these guys are degenerates and criminals and all of that. And he says, we spend $250 billion a year on this type of thing. And yet we're going to fate. We're going to trust the fate of the world to these guys. So that's, that's a pretty funny scene. It follows again, right after the scene where they kind of give each of these extra characters and Harry's crew about 30 seconds to find out their deal and track them down. And Keith David's like, really these guys, like this is, this is who we're going to trust. And, and in our next segment, we're going to talk a, a lot about logic, logic and exactly why most of these guys, Keith David was right. We're not going to trust these Keith guys. Keith David but... was basically the real world avatar. Yes. If you think about it. Uh, I had that one. And then I don't, what else do you have? Jeff? Well, I have transitioning from the Keith David thing. The one thing that makes absolutely no sense is there is a short scene in which the quote unquote president, you don't know his name. He's not, he doesn't look like Bill Clinton either. Just a random older guy playing the president says in a press conference after all of this is leaked by the older woman, Dottie, who you see in the beginning of the movie, her husband discovers the asteroid. She's also been deemed the vicious, life-sucking bitch from which there is no escape, Dottie. The president goes on TV and automatically says, today in the Bible is what they call Armageddon. So apparently the day of, the the guys haven't even launched yet to save no. the planet. No. They haven't launched yet. Today is Armageddon. The asteroid's going to... Why the hell are they going? I guess it's more of a logic-based one. Yeah, the, the president is kind of giving the speech tied into watching the astronauts prepare to launch. Yeah, which leads into a, a great scene, which is an amazing scene between AJ and Grace. They have so many great scenes. Kevin brought up the one, and here's this one. Him, Bear, Rockhound... Yeah. And oh, who was the other one that sang with them? Oh, was it Chick or somebody? Not Chick. It was Oscar. Started singing Leaving on a Jet Plane yeah, before they start walking out to. It's pretty great. And they all sing pretty well. Steve Buscemi has an amazing, angelic voice. Yeah. The only the only scene I want to mention before we transition into the logic portion is there is a scene where Harry and Grace kind of on the day of the launch get to sort of make an amends. Like she wrote him a letter and he apologized for, Hey, I'm sorry. I kept you on oil rigs. Kind of says like, I'm sorry your mom left. And she says, well, you know, mom left both of us. I don't blame you. I'm happy with my life. And she makes him promise that he will be back, which essentially seals his fate, but she makes him promise that he will return again. The, the site, what is this shot at the, one of the Apollo, it's, it's, it's filmed at the launch site of the Apollo one fire. So three, which three is roughly miles, three miles probably. away from mission control. So they or walked, launch control. They walked or drove three miles off site to have yes. this scene. Well, let's let's talk about again about the president and uh, uh -huh. transition logic. to our final portion of the show. Well, one of our final portions of the show, which is logic. So every movie that we cover, we're gonna kind of go into the logic. And again, this is where we're gonna shit on the movie a little bit. We love these movies. We're just pointing things out. We we're going into the real world aspects of what could be real. You have to suspend disbelief, but again, this is this is logic where somebody should have been like, "Does this make sense?" So first, I will say that I don't know that we're not smart enough, but we're not going to dive into the like the scientific space travel and geology geology of the movie there is a link i think you have the link yes it is good and i didn't this is not my website it just happens to be the url go to dinogym.com that's dinogym.com for a complete scientific breakdown of this movie armageddon yeah he goes into i mean it's super he gets into numbers he gets into math it's amazing but we're not here to do that we no. are we are here to break down kind of the casual logic so i'll go first i'll say again i brought it up earlier but why? Okay. They have 18 days. 18 days. To break this thing down, to, to, to break this asteroid. Why would they train oil riggers to be astronauts instead of astronauts to be oil riggers? Now, astronauts are like 
I mean, point zero 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 one percent of the population. They're the like, best of the best. Only a handful of people can be astronauts. You like can't have flaws. You can't have anything in your criminal history. You you have to be. Per, you basically have to know. I want to be an astronaut from the time I'm a child. You bet. Good and with you have math. To, Donate your entire life to being an astronaut, and even still, you may not be good enough. So, I'm willing to bet astronauts are pretty smart people, and they could easily train them how to operate drilling equipment that's developed for them. Rather than take oil riggers, who we've learned have a history with all these criminal charges and everything else, and then train the oil riggers how to be astronauts, when again, not everyone can be an astronaut. So it's sort of like not to get into wrestling too much. We both like wrestling, but WCW, which is a defunct wrestling company, like if they wanted to do somebody with a biker gimmick, rather than take a wrestler who's trained and just say, okay, learn how to be a biker, they would just go on the streets, hire an actual like Hell's Angel, and then be like, we're going to teach you how to wrestle, which they didn't really do their job. But there, there was like an incident on WCW one time with Big Al where he like threatened to stab somebody on television because they hired a real biker instead of a wrestler who taught to be a biker. So I, that's like my number one logic thing in this movie. It's just insane that they didn't train astronauts how to be oil riggers or another way to drill through this thing. And they were just like, nope, we're going to go get oil riggers. Not just oil riggers, but the first crew that they find. They don't substitute any nope. any team members. There's no backups. There's no backups. If it's one just, gets sick, you're fucked. It's just well, there's probably a reason that they picked the first crew they could find, and that's that they had 18 days. <sighs> so this will transition into you. Oh, talking get about ready. The 18 days. Get ready, folks. So let's break it down when it comes to logic, when it comes to time, people. They have 18 days before this hits its mythical zero barrier. Now, zero barrier is a apparently a scientific break a scientific point in which if they don't detonate the asteroid before that it will hit the earth no matter what so they have 18 days before it reaches zero barrier you're thinking wow jim in real life something this big we could probably see 20 25 years out and that's very true there's a line in the movie which says that they're only budgeted for three percent of the sky quote unquote now the solar system is huge i don't have the exact number in front of me i wouldn't even know how to translate that number 3% 3% will get you years, not 18 days. Yeah, yeah. and the, I mean, the thing is, in Play Devil's Advocate, it's traveling, what, like 22,000 miles 22,500 miles an hour. But the size of space, if you have 3%, again, you would get at least a year, uh, you know, a, like six months, at least. That I mean, we're seeing stuff in real life, like this could hit us in 20 years. Yes. Stuff like that. Yeah, we know, like, for example, right now, in real life, there is an asteroid heading towards Earth. Stadium-sized one. And it'll miss Earth by however 3. many miles. 3.16 million miles. But they know all of these things. Again... To the exact 10th. 22 years in the future, but still. Yeah. Still, 18 days. So we got 18 days before it hits zero barrier. That, in 18 days, this the, the clock starts at... This is when NASA finds out... They're sitting around a conference table, and all of a sudden, they roll clock. Yes. So... From the moment they figure out <laughs> that there's an asteroid, okay. they have 18 days until the thing is going to hit Earth. So they have to round up Harry's crew. They get Harry's crew in there, and they go through psychological evaluations, which takes up approximately six whole days before Zero Barrier. Yes, and I don't know that it matters. If they're tied to these guys and they've committed to these guys, does it matter? I don't One see One could the come point. back and be... A serial killer. Does it matter? Exactly. That is the point. I'm. It, and then, it, who cares if they don't pass a psyche valve? This is all you got. There's no backup crew. No. Now we're down to 12 days. We are down to 12 days to learn astronaut training, which they have less because impact is in 12 days. Yes. So they have 12 days, okay? So they basically had three entire days of astronaut training. Three Days. That doesn't seem like enough. It doesn't seem like enough. So, out of nowhere, after all this training, Harry's like, these guys need a night off to blow some steam. Just because <laughs> they have all the time in the damn world. Yeah. There's, you know, only zero barriers approaching, but let's give them a night off, which they give them, okay? So, they get a night off. So, basically, they have one day to destroy the asteroid because the president said today is Armageddon. Yes. Actually, you have one day now to head off to the asteroid, which... 
in real world terms, will take you because they're going with they're two going sh- around the moon. They're going two shuttles launching to the space station Mir. That takes roughly probably between fifteen and twenty hours to reach dock. Okay, why you needed fu- fuel uh, fuel refill? I have no idea because. In the Apollo missions, they didn't need to refill to go to the moon. So it'll take another three days to go around the moon and dock in real life to this asteroid, not dock, land on it. Explain to me, an asteroid the size of Texas, it, it's gonna, it, it, literally the way they broke it down, it's going to hit in one day. But however, when Mir is destroyed, the timer says 17 hours till zero barrier. They still have to go another three days in real life to even land on the asteroid. Well, the thing I don't understand about this, it's a very fixable problem. Huge. They literally could have given us 28 days. I mean, are you any... Do you think that the suspense is any less because it's 28 days? I mean, no. It's it's like psycho shit that they picked 18 days to do this. And they also said once it passes zero barrier, it's three hours till impact. Yeah. So it's just a wash of three hours. Yeah, it, it just it's so strange to me. The movie wouldn't have been worse if they would have just picked a longer time frame. Even if they said, okay, we this is going to be here. Deep Impact had a full year. Yeah. They said, it looks like it's going to land in August this time next year. So they gave them a full year in the movie, but they use time flow yes. to move it up. Yeah, and this it's like not only is it eighteen days, but we're train we're doing full training. They, they should have swapped. Guys, we got twenty four minutes. I need everybody trained, psychologically evaled. We need to go to Mir. We need to go to the moon. We need to land on it, destroy. We win, Gracie. Deep. They should have switched places. Deep Impact should have used oil riggers, and they should have done Deep Armageddon and imp- <laughs> Impact Deep Impact something. <laughs> <laughs> Just Impact something. Impact something. Uh, so that that leads a, a kind of logic that piggybacks off that. In, in a real-world scenario, would the president say anything at all, or would the president wait until the last day to say something? Because we see, where is it that gets Paris gets destroyed with one of the offshoots of the asteroid? and Which is a huge detonation. It looks like, what, maybe a 20-megaton bomb? Yeah, almost? again, they the had TNT? to have warning on that. But the president waits until the last day to make an announcement. If you're going to wait that long, in my opinion... Just don't say anything. Just don't even tell people. Well, they even said, Truman says when he has his one-on-one with Harry and he talks about the mission patch, he says, man, you're going to see a social breakdown worldwide, rioting, mass hysteria. Yeah, if you tell everyone the world's going to end today, and in the movie what you see is like empty streets, no, you're going to see... Looting, yes, people going nuts. Yeah, people are gonna do. They're gonna do like everything they want to do before they potentially die. But me and you even talked about it. It's like, oh, we're gonna die. No, we're not gonna die. Oh, we're gonna die. No, we're not gonna die. It's like Jesus, man. Right? Because halfway through the mission, they straight up tell the whole world the mission failed. Like the Independence ends up because there's the Freedmen, the Independence, the Independence where AJ is on. They crash land on the asteroid. So all of a sudden, guys, uh, the asteroid uh, took out this one crew. It looks bad. But then they take the armadillo, the driller, the drill vehicle off the Freedom, and it hits a gas patch, and it goes in the atmosphere. They're like, uh, we're all dead. We're yeah, screwed. They just, they're so premature. They just, nope, we, mission failed. You're all dead. Uh, so to piggyback again off, off the president's thing, why is this strictly an American problem? Regardless of whether it's 18 days or not, if we were to find out that an asteroid was hurling towards Earth and that there was a possibility that we could do something to break it up and allow it to miss Earth, that it wouldn't be uniquely an American problem. Yeah, you'd have the Russian, I mean, the Chinese, the Chinese, anybody that anybody, has space capability. Like they would. They would be developing missiles, something, something that they could do. Deep Impact, they had a joint venture to build a ship to go stop the uh, the yeah. Russians and if the it Americans. It a global problem, yeah. It probably, there would be some participation from more, it, this is like solely an American problem. Another problem I had before we, we jump to you, and this is kind of a funny and a silly one, is Bear's suit. Bear played by Michael Clark Duncan. White horse, White what, House. Michael Dark, like, uh, Michael, Michael Clark, Michael Clark, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Clark, Clark Duncan. Duncan is probably what six six. He's like six five, close to three hundred. Brick like, shit house. Rest huge. in peace. Astronauts are not large on purpose, and if you have eighteen days before this thing has to leave, 
you know, I don't know where NASA gets these suits. I don't know who contracts them for. I'm pretty sure they're not going to be like, hey, we need a suit for a literal giant. We'll get it for you in about three hours. And Bear, again, Bear, not only the suit's the least of my worries. If they could get him a helmet and a suit and everything he needed, he's not going to fit. On these shuttles and vehicles. Well, same with Max. Max is a huge Max. fat Max hoss. Is probably 350. These guys are not going to fit on these vehicles. So why not just leave them at home? Like, why bring them? They don't really contribute. They don't. They don't. It's so weird. What's uh, what's next for you and the, the logic issues? <laughs> okay. So you referenced already that Keith David's character says how many billions of dollars that were... What was the number? $250 billion, $250 billion a, year. a year, okay? So you get a budget number there. They constructed two, not just one, two military-grade space shuttles with a titanium shell that is impervious to any damage. You're telling me that maybe using the Freedom of Information Act, you'd be able to say, where is all this money going to? Because me and Kevin were figuring out two military shuttles all the suits, whatever kind of training that's involved, the building of the armadillo, going to the Russian space station because you know you're going to have to pay Russia to use that fuel, even though you don't need the fuel, and the fuel pod wouldn't just fall out of space. That's another thing. I'm going off on a tangent. We're thinking trillions of dollars. Yes. Trillions. And, and you know, you don't even mention that not only the shuttles, but they build drills, which another Yeah, the armadillos. Issue, another logic issue is... The oil rigging crew are building their own drills. They show them welding and stuff. Yes. Which takes away from their training, frankly. But they show them welding the drills that they're taking to space. Another thing, too, me and you also talked about, this is an asteroid. Asteroids basically are from the existing parts of planets that have gone supernova, yes. that have been destroyed. How can you assume that the materials and rock on that asteroid are only indigenous to Earth. Yeah, you have no idea what that thing's made and of. And I looked up iron ferrite. There's no such thing as iron ferrite. No. They're building a, a machine that they know for, build, for, di for drilling through Earth. But if they... You see that they break a, a drill head or a drill tip, whatever it's called, within like 10 feet. That's probably how this mission would go in real life. They, you know, if they didn't get a good scan of this thing and they didn't actually see what they were working with, they go up there and they try and drill and they blow all their equipment within five minutes. Yeah, so how can you assume that everything on that rock is basically everything we have down here? So if you go by that premise, even having Harry and his team up there, pretty much useless. Yeah, Harry Harry very well may be the best driller in the world and see on and Earth. Earth, but exactly, on Earth. It has nothing to do with an asteroid. This is... Frankly, a dumb idea. Why Why did this idea win out over any other idea? I mean, the president just wanted to nuke the thing, but in the president's plan, just nuking the surface, it probably breaks into a million pieces. Jason Isaac's character, yes. another great secondary guy, tells you it's like a firecracker. You put your uh, a firecracker in your hand with your fingers open, just going to leave a mark. If you put the firecracker and wrap your fingers around it and it explodes, somebody will be opening your ketchup bottles yeah. for the rest of your life. Uh, so probably my, I mean, I probably have more logic issues, but my last one that I'll mention, because again, I enjoy this movie, so I'm not going to shit on it too much. My last thing is, so Harry gets left on the surface of the asteroid to go down in the hole, detonate this bomb, kill himself, save the world. But the ship supposedly, which I don't remember which of the two ships, is it the Freedom? It's the Freedom. So the Freedom leaves before Harry can detonate this. I don't give a shit. The Freedom could have had like a full one-day head start. And they he detonates his bomb, and they show the freedom shaking and... The blinding the, light. The blinding light from the blast. They would have been annihilated by that blast. The shockwave alone would have got them. Yes. So that and the freedom seemingly gets home back to Houston in like a half hour. Which, like I said briefly, in real life... When astronauts come back from anything, you have to go into a decontamination quarantine phase. God forbid if you're carrying something yeah. from space that you're unaware of. You can't just, oh, let's open up the hatch and walk out. Yeah, they've you been can't do all it. out on the surface of an asteroid, and then they get off the ship, and then they just start hugging their loved ones. So you probably have a bunch of con contaminated people now. And I'll say really quickly, the whole mirror thing, okay, everything that happens on the Russian space station, mirror, looking up, it can't create artificial gravity. It would have to go so much faster and that would just tear the station apart yeah and the other thing when the fuel pod explodes 
it somehow comes off gravity somehow just launches it downwards yeah. towards the shuttle there's, first of all there's no fire there can't be fire no, in space no but every movie does it so it's like you write it off however it would float away it wouldn't just drop there is there's like 20 minutes of this movie when so the whole build-up is great there i have no issues with the whole build-up but then once they actually launch there's probably 20 minutes or more of just like catastrophe. Like you don't need the fuel. Why no. bring the damn there's fuel the with fuel, you? There's all this shit crashing. There's all these rocks. There's I mean Owen Wilson's character says like worst worst environment imaginable or whatever. But there's just like a 20 minute montage essentially of just like bad shit happening. This movie's what two two and a half hours. Two hours and thirty minutes long. But it's a, a pretty fast two hours and thirty. Yeah, it's minutes. not a slog. Man. I don't I don't have a problem with it's that. It's not so. Um, anything else you wanted to mention on on the logic? No, man. I think we kind of hit all the good points. Okay, so this is completely unrelated to this movie, but there's a holy shit moment for me. So Liv Tyler's character named Grace, Liv Tyler, who seems to play like crying, sad characters, Liv Tyler dates and is going to marry AJ. Which AJ is Frost. Son. AJ Frost. In Empire Records, which Liv Tyler also plays like a sad, crying girl, she ends up with AJ. How ironic is that? Me and him just stumbled upon this. We're like, holy shit. I'm going to have to watch Lord of the Rings to make sure she doesn't end up with an AJ. I double checked her Wikipedia to see in real life if she didn't marry a guy named AJ. AJ's her favorite Backstreet Boy. I'm like, yeah, can you believe that? That's just so ironic. So what a weird moment, but nothing that matters too much. So finally, let's get into what is the legacy of this movie for you? For me, well, we've talked about it, that they made a Criterion edition of this movie. They did. And for those unaware, Criterion kind of more so used to be that they, in the name of preserving important movies or groundbreaking movies, they would release a Criterion edition. Armageddon's a really controversial one because when when Criterion obtained the rights to Armageddon, everybody kind of shit their pants and said, why is... Armageddon to Criterion. Now, Criterion, in fairness, they kind of just release what they get the rights to. I was going to say, they did that with RoboCop, yeah, too. Yeah, they kind of just release whatever they get the rights to every month. But Armageddon is a controversial one. I honestly think that Armageddon should be on Criterion because it is a time capsule 90s explosion action movie. It's a Michael Bay masterpiece. Yeah, this is the best Michael Bay movie, in my opinion, it you know he he went on to make the Transformers franchise Granted, before he did Bad Boys, the first Bad Boys, which is an amazing movie. Yes. Yeah, I, I would say Armageddon is if you say Michael Bay, Armageddon should be the one that comes to mind. Kind of ignore the Transformers. Let's be honest. Pretty they're, pretty piss. Yeah, they're they're watchable and they they did some pretty impressive stuff. Maybe like the first one, technology wise, but yeah, they made like a hundred of them. But I would say the legacy of Armageddon is that it's a it's a batshit ridiculous action movie with good performances. It made a ton of money. You have any idea what the budget numbers were? I mean, I, I yeah, know go ahead made, and keep talking. I'm gonna bring it. I up. know it made a ton, but again, this. This was in the the late 90s. Every year, every movie wanted to be the summer blockbuster. Like the to me it was like Twister and Independence Day. Movies that you'd be like in early July, I'm going to see that movie. Okay, so this movie had a budget of 140 million. It made 553 nearly 554 million dollars at the box office. So there should have been uh Armageddon too. Obviously. Re-Armageddon. Armageddon it. Armageddon with a Def Leppard soundtrack. Yeah. So I would say impressive. Even in 98, this movie was made for $140 million. But um, yeah, I, I think it's impressive. I think you look back, it's exactly, it did its job perfectly. I don't think it tried to be anything except an edge of your seat, summer blockbuster action movie with great performances. And it checks all those boxes. I'm totally cool with Armageddon. Now, it's said here why there was a Criterion release. It said it was an important classic of contemporary films, cinema at its finest. It also said it's a work of art by a cutting-edge artist who is a master of movement, light, color, and shape, and also of chaos, razzle-dazzle, and explosion, which is dead-on accurate. Razzle-dazzle. Razzle-dazzle. Yes, I would say... 
when if you're if you're uh even a an amateur film fan and not like a real serious hardcore film fan you can see where jj abrams got yeah lens flare from. if you say michael bay you can imagine some things in your mind that are very michael bay i used to make the joke when i was in college all the time where it's like in a michael bay movie if somebody drops like a ball of paper it explodes you know michael bay was like the butt of a lot of jokes for how he made movies but it's undeniable i mean it's 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 cool it's I'm fine with it. It's totally cool that Michael Bay makes this kind of movie. I mean, you don't have to love it, but I love Armageddon. I think its legacy holds up as a a fun summer blockbuster type of movie. I mean, maybe not something you want to return to in 50 years and watch as an iconic piece of cinema, but I think for the time, wonderful. Okay, Michael Bay was interviewed in 2013 when he was doing Pain and Gain, talking about Armageddon. He said, and I quote, we had to do the whole movie in 16 weeks. 16 it was days. a 16 <laughs> It was a massive undertaking that was not fair to the movie. I would redo the entire third act, the entire third act if I could, but the studio literally took the movie away from us. It was terrible. My visual effects supervisor had a nervous breakdown, Ooh. so I had to be in charge of that. I called James Cameron and asked, "What do you do when you're doing all the effects yourself?" But the movie did fine. I do you have um do you have Michael Bay's phone number? Do I have base phone number? Yeah. Not off the top of my hand. Darn. I was going to say, maybe we can uh, maybe we can get a hold of Adrian Caspian Bay, who can... Call, <laughs> my dude, Adrian Caspian Bay, man. Who can call his uncle, Michael, and uh, maybe we can talk to him about this movie. And the great thing about this, Kevin brought up, the oil driller thing and not having astro- NASA astronauts. If you ever want to watch this movie, watch it with the commentary on, because Ben Affleck does drunk commentary, and he says... He asked Michael Bay why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers, and he told me to shut the fuck up, so see, that was the end of the talk. See, Affleck gets drunk it. Drunk Affleck. Affleck gets it. I think drunk Affleck's uh, repetitive and but redundant. But there's a whole, like like I said, there's a whole scientific breakdown of the detonation, the geology on dinogym.com, so yeah, sure yeah. check For that out. Yeah, yeah, for further research, I mean, if you care enough to, to Wikipedia. That that's a pretty fascinating thing because it gives the science, uh, the mileage and the speeds and the, the geology of what's on the asteroid. It's a pretty awesome in depth uh, type of article. So you don't so, want to miss a thing. Yeah, you do not want to miss a thing. That's Ew. that's quite a way to end this. So I will say, uh, I hope you enjoyed our debut episode of the Pool Scene Podcast. We. Kind of we'll be doing kind of classic movies that mean a lot to us. We'll also do some, from time to time, we'll do watch-alongs, too. Yeah, we'll do so. watch-alongs. We are going to do some kind of double episodes where it tackles sequels. So Also, real quick, we have to give a shout-out to Hot Wheels, because in front of me, I have the Harry Stamper Armageddon toy made by Hot Wheels. I never even knew they had a toy line for this, but there is a toy line. I think Jim made this himself, because I've don't. i never seen <laughs> so it. So shout out to Hot Wheels for making an Armageddon set. Thanks, I want the whole Hot thing. Wheels. Thanks, Hot Wheels. Let us know. I mean, rate, comment, subscribe, find us on social media. We have our uh, we have the Pool Scene Podcast on Facebook. We also have the Pool Scene Podcast on Instagram. You will be able to find this Apple Podcast app. And you can also find us on Spotify, too. Or you can sit in an apple tree outside the window and listen to us. That's right. Uh, I I will say, uh, I know coming up, um, we're talking about doing Days and Confused. Yes, Days and Confused. We have a whole we list. We got a, 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 quite a large list. Twister, definitely doing Twister. Maybe we can get a special guest on the show for yeah, Twister that Twister I can think fan, of. So. Yeah, I, I would say um, I think the next one will probably be Dazed and Confused. So yes. if you want to watch it in advance of the next episode, that's a great idea. You can count along with how many times Mitch touches his nose. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Also, it has one of the most cringiest lines, in my opinion, in movie history. Is it worse than Cold Drinks? No, Cold Drinks is number one for Twister. This is number two when he asks to go get him a six-pack. Okay, maybe we'll do that as a uh, pool a pool check, his cringiest lines in movie history. Oh, so, okay, well, everyone, uh, rate, comment, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Kevin Bradway, along with Jim Sabella. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pool Scene Podcast. Cue the cars moving in stereo. Bye-bye, Goodbye. everybody.